Thank you, Steve, and everyone. Good morning. Standards, boy bands, and Frito-Lay. Standards, boy bands, and Frito-Lay. Those are not the points of my outline, I promise. But they will each be mentioned this morning. Uh, You know, I thought about opening with a a, a video, but uh, I told my wife it, it, it wouldn't have been uh, one that's edifying. It would simply be one that applies to how I feel about the week. Uh, we're coming down the home stretch. Uh, so I actually thought about putting up the Kentucky Derby, because as you know, going left to right, they come around that far corner, come up this way, and when they get around this near corner on the left... What's the announcer always say? Down the stretch they come. And that's where we are this week. That's how I feel we are. Um, week 11. But 11 weeks. Uh, which surprises me. I'm not sure what that H is doing up there. But that's okay. <laughs> 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 ah, week Week 11 out of uh, 12 weeks in a series that uh, I've entitled The Grace, the, pardon me, The Christ Centered Church, a plea for unity. Remember, this is all about Jesus Christ here. He is our focus. And God's call for us is as a church to be in unity with one another. Our unity is in Christ. That's what unites us. So it has been my privilege for uh, 11 weeks uh, to share. Thank you for your patience with me. Uh, Thank you for uh, hanging in. And I pray that this has been meaningful to you. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's on page 954 if you use the Bible under the seat in front of you. First Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'm reading out of the King James. The Bible says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the 
power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Let's bow our heads and pray, please. What a privilege. To open your word, Lord. And share from it. To teach from it. but it's not lost on me the responsibility. Lord, I pray this morning that you will bless our time together. Please, please, move in this room. Lord, we just sang, my heart is yours. I pray that we meant it And that we open our our hearts and our ears and our minds to what you have to say to us. Give us understanding, please. Give us understanding. Thank you. Thank you for your presence and for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Sin separates. It causes disunity. Unity is hard to claim when there is open sin and no accountability in the church. We're not going to talk 
specifics in reference to the sin in question in chapter 5. We did enough of that last week. But I want you to consider the characteristics of the sin in verses 1 and 2. It is egregious. The sin is of a kind that even the pagans couldn't accept. It is out in the open. It's evident from the text that the church is aware of the sin, so the man is not hiding it from anyone. As we shared last week, the sin here is in violation of God's law and of Roman law. Therefore, it's unlikely that anyone in Corinth would have married them. Therefore, they're probably unmarried. And yet, verse 1 suggests there's a permanence to the relationship. The King James says that one should have. This isn't a short-term fling, but a long-term relationship. This woman is living with this man under the same roof. Notice, too, that only the man's sin is addressed in verses 1 and 2. And through the remainder of the chapter, there's no mention of the woman when it comes to church discipline. So it's likely that she's not a Christian and therefore not a member of the church. And finally, all of this together reflects a hardness of the heart in the man. I want to pause and just go back to that previous point about the likelihood of the woman not being a Christian. And I want to talk about standards. This isn't so much relative to this week's message, but last week's. But because I ran over, I did not have enough time uh, to address everything that I could have addressed. As a matter of fact, last week's message could go for several more weeks if I chose. And I don't. To every unmarried believer in the room, your number one standard for a husband or a wife is found in 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Ladies, your future husband must be a Christian. Listen, I'm just going to speak honestly here. You have to be attracted to him physically. You have to be. There has to be an attraction. Because you're going to wake up next to this guy for the rest of your life You surely want to be staring at someone you're attracted to in the morning. But more importantly, you must be attracted to him spiritually. 
You must be attracted to his faith. That goes for you too, men. Do not lower your standards just so that you can be married. That will be a forever mistake. I could keep going on this, but I need to move on. But if you want to talk about this further, please see me. I'd be happy to talk to you more about it. So what are the characteristics? We talked about the characteristics of the sin and the man involved in the sin. What are the characteristics of the church in verses 1 and 2? Well, we talked last week a little bit about this. They were puffed up, the King James says. They were arrogant. This is, this is the overall personality of the church. As I said last week, I don't think they're proud of this specific sin, but even in the presence of such sin in the church, it didn't change the haughty spirit among them. Additionally, they were complacent. They didn't push back against such an overt display of disobedience. You cannot be complacent about sin. Finally, they had a wrong attitude. This is a result of their arrogance and their complacency. Although they should have been grieving, Paul said, in mourning over having to discipline this man, specifically over having to remove him from the fellowship, they looked the other way. They were complacent. Paul writes in verse 3, For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Although I'm not with you physically, he says, I'm with you in spirit. Remember what Paul wrote back in in chapter 4. He said, I love you like my own children. He's saying here in chapter 5, you may not see me, but my heart is with you like a dad for his children. Let me paraphrase the end of verse 3 this way. Regarding the man who has so blatantly and scandalously perpetrated this sin while calling himself a Christian, so he's now bringing their attention to the man... He says he's already passed judgment on him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, has already from afar passed judgment on this man. And he's getting ready to tell them in verse 4, you need to pass judgment also, church. It's your responsibility to do this. Look down at verse 4. In the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
When you gather together in public worship, you're doing so in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. That word power in verse 4 refers to the authority of Christ here. Paul says the next time you gather in this way, you have the authority of Christ and my spirit, he says, which, which is his full support, which is Paul's full support, even while absent, to do what? Verse 5, the NIV says, hand this man over to Satan. That's pretty direct. Hand this man over to Satan. Please remember this though, church, please. You cannot do this with a haughty spirit. This should be done with humility. It should be done with grief, with tears even. We don't puff ourselves up and make ourselves look better in order to bring discipline upon a sinner within the church. But we do this in deep humility and in tears. So, moving on, what's the reason for delivering a member of the church over to Satan? The King James says, for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. And I, I think those of you who, have, who are using the Bible in front of you, uh, under the seat in front of you, I think it says something similar. The NIV says something different. The NIV uh, uses the phrase, so that the sinful nature can be destroyed. In the margin, I think the NIV says, flesh. So I get the feeling the translators weren't positive. They leaned towards sinful nature, but hey, it could possibly mean flesh. The best translation is the flesh. It actually means the body. But the question is, what's the intended meaning? Is it the sinful nature or is it the body? Some believe it is that sinful nature, fleshly lusts, so that the fleshly lusts can be stifled, they can be quenched, they can be crushed. But I don't think that's what it means here. The word destruction doesn't necessarily mean annihilation, but ruin. So the sinning brother is to be handed over to Satan for the ruin of his flesh, the body. Persistent sin often leads to this, doesn't it? The ruin of the body. Most of you can probably think of someone who's a living example of these words. This is why there should be such grief. Think about the consequences for the sinning brother. How hard would it be to turn over someone? How hard it would be to turn over your own child to the world? That's how we should feel when we're handing someone over 
to Satan when we're dismissing someone from the fellowship, Paul says. I'm going to switch gears moving into verse 6. I know you're waiting to hear about the boy band thing. Okay, when I was a kid, to my best recollection, the only music that was allowed in the house was Porter Wagner. Yeah, hear me? Yeah, there you go. Porter Wagner, I knew that's my dad. Glenn Campbell, Charlie Pride, uh, Johnny Cash, and of course, Elvis, right? Oh, that was it. That was it. I had a friend up the street. Um, this is a little aside. I had a friend up the street. Johnny Palamine was his name. Uh, I was at his house. He was playing records. He played this uh, 145. If you're under 35, you don't know what a 45 is. <laughs> he played this 45 uh, by a group. Maybe you probably never heard of this group called Kiss. It was a song called Detroit Rock City. I said, wow, that was pretty good. I took it home with me like a naive kid, and I played it. My mom lost her mind. Lost her mind. Get that out of the house. And I walked that help, that uh, 45 right back up to Johnny. Hey, thanks. I can't play. <laughs> Don't ever bring it to my house. Anyway, in the mid-'70s, somehow... Uh, and, and this was, was more, it, this was not with my mom's blessing, but my dad allowed it. There was like the original boy band, okay, before, and I don't know any of these. One Direction, is that right? Is that a boy band? Okay. Before NSYNC, before Backstreet Boys, and New Kids on the Block, a new edition. I think I've covered some of them. There were two huge boy bands back in the early 70s. One was called the Jackson Five. Okay. The other was the Osmonds. Anybody? Alan, Wayne, Merrill, Jay, and Donnie, right? The Osmond brothers which we were introduced to through Donnie and Marie Variety Hour, right? Back in 1970, the Osmonds had their first number one hit. Any fan recall the name of the song? There they are. One bad apple, all right? I think I can even remember the words. I wrote them down from memory in my notes. I can tell you've been hurt by that look on your face, girl. Some guy brought your sad, some guy brought some sad into your happy world. You need love, but you're afraid that if you give in, someone else will come along and sock it to you again. I'll get to the chorus in a second. As an even greater aside, that song was actually meant for the Jackson Five. But their album was full, so it went to the Osmonds. Anyway, one bad apple, don't spoil the whole bunch, girl. Give it one more try before you give up on love. One bad apple, don't spoil the whole bunch, girl. I don't care what they say. 
I don't care what you've heard. One bad apple. Number one, 1970. I was a fan, yeah. The thing is, it's not true. Did you realize that? One bad apple does spoil a whole bunch. Because one rotten, overripe apple affects every other apple around it as a result of the gases that are emitted from this rotting apple. So the apples around it are affected. It's the same in the church. It's the same in the church. And that's what Paul gets to in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? So, those of you who bake know that leaven is a substance that's used to make dough rise. And if you want something to go from a cracker to a loaf of bread... You need leaven or yeast, right? A little leaven affects the whole lump of dough. Leaven here is an illustration for sin. It's a symbol for sin. If there's leaven in the church, if there's a bad apple in the church, if there is sin in the church, it will affect the whole church. And that's why you have to purge it out. Look at verses 7 and 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, they were directed to kill a perfect lamb and spread its blood on the doorposts of their homes. And when, when the angel of the Lord saw uh, the blood... Uh, he, he passed over their homes so that their children were protected while the Egyptians were devastated. And this is why Israel was released from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they, they left. The Passover is celebrated by the Jews. In Deuteronomy, God gave instructions on how to prepare the meal for the Passover, and it included a lamb that was killed in remembrance of the blood that was used on the doorposts. And there's instructions on how to cook, how to prepare that lamb for the meal. And, and that evening, as Passover began, that evening then began a seven-day feast of unleavened bread when nothing with leaven could be eaten. As a matter of fact, all the homes were to be cleaned out of leaven so that there was no leaven to be found in all of Israel. 
They were to sweep every corner, making sure all the leaven was gone. And the Jews used extreme care to search their homes and purge out every bit of leaven. Purge out the old leaven, Paul writes in verse 7. Leaven is sin. It's representative of sin. Get rid of it. As Christians, you are unleavened, he says in verse 7. You are free from sin. So purge it out altogether. Verse 8 says, let's keep the feast. Paul writes, let's keep the feast. He's referring to that feast of the unleavened bread that the Jews celebrated annually. But Paul is saying that our Passover lamb was sacrificed in Jesus Christ on the cross. So this feast is to be celebrated every day, not by what we eat, but by the way we live. And we're to purge out sin from our lives. As Christians, we're to live unleavened lives daily. In verse 9, Paul refers to a lost letter. He refers to a letter that's been previously lost uh, to us. Uh, But he apparently in that letter instructed the Corinthian church uh, not to associate with uh, immoral people. Look down at verse 10 for me, please. Verse 10. Yet, not, not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. Or, uh, for, for then, you must needs go out of the world. So, evidently, the, the church stopped having contact with anyone Outside of the church. Paul says, you misunderstood what I was saying in that letter. If if you were going to not have any contact with sinners at all, you'd have to uproot your whole church and take it to the moon. You won't be able to walk out the doors. You won't be able to live outside the church. Look at Matthew 5. These are from verses 13 to 16. You, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. That says you have to live it outside these walls. You have to have contact of some kind with others. That they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. Here's another one, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that they may be blameless, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Not away from, but in the midst of a a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights. In the world. The problem in the Corinthian church was this they're willing to separate themselves from the outside world 
even though they tolerated sin within the church that was so much more dangerous to their fellowship. It was hypocrisy. There's less danger in associating with an unbelieving sinner as an acquaintance in the world than in associating with an open sinner who professes to be a Christian. Look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother, that's important, be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one. No, do not eat. Notice this, notice this. Nowhere and at no time does Paul ever judge this man, his salvation. This man in chapter 5, described in verses 1 and 2, Paul never judges whether he's a Christian. He judges the sin. God will judge his salvation. If anyone professes to be a Christian brother or sister, Paul never questions the profession of faith. And as Christians, we should be very careful about this as well. If someone professes to be a Christian, he professes Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord who died on the cross, I can be concerned about salvation, but I'm not to judge the salvation. I'm to judge the sin. But if the professing Christian is involved in known, unconfessed sin, then the church is called to step up and discipline the offending believer. There's two forms of church discipline. One is a lighter form. That would mean the sinning brother is allowed to worship and sit under the teaching of the elders but may not participate in shared meals or in the Lord's Supper. He may not do so. That's what Paul uh, is writing about in verse 11 when he says, with such a man, do not eat. The brother is cut off from fellowship and from any opportunities to serve in the church. But he's not cut off from the teaching of the word because you hope that teaching is going to bring him back. Then there's a heavier form, and that's complete communica- excommunication. It's a complete separation from the church. And this is what Paul's calling for in verse 5 For the man described in verses 1 and 2. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The end of verse 13 reads this way. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He's not saying keep him in the fellowship. He's saying he needs to be removed altogether. Get him out. This is important. The purpose of discipline is always... Restoration. That's why it needs to be done in humility. It needs to be firm. But the sinning believer needs to know we love him and want to welcome him back. Verse 5 says, His body may be ruined, but his spirit will be saved. That's what we want. Look at Matthew 18. Verses 15 through 17 say, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Avoid gossip. 
Don't go to somebody else and say, hey, let me tell you what he did. That's wrong. Go to him directly. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. That's the goal. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses in hopes that you will win your brother over. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Here's another. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, Hebrews 12, 11. This is the goal. We want to bring them back. We don't judge in a haughty way. Verse 11 says, this, that, that judging someone's salvation is for God to do. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says, it's also not our place to judge outside of the church. So, I'm told not to judge someone's salvation if they're a professing believer. I'm also told not to judge someone who's not a Christian at all. God allows loving judgment within the church, among the church. Loving judgment. Paul never intended himself or the church to be the judge of unbelievers, but to judge only those within the church. Those on the outside are for God to judge and for believers to reach with the gospel. Amen? Tough to reach them when you're judging them. We're called to judge only those within the church, but always in humility with the purpose of restoring fellowship. So, what's the application to all this? As we... Head to a close. Question. Are you living an unleavened life? Or is there leaven present? We talked about this a little bit last week. We're called to live holy lives as believers, right? Is there sin in any hidden corners of your life? Can I tell you something? Let me give you the correct answer. Yes. No one's perfect. None. We're forgiven. Praise the Lord. You are free from the presence and the power of sin, but that does not make you sinless. I hope you don't walk away from this message thinking the elders are looking to excommunicate anyone from the church. That's not right either. (laughs) Nothing would be further from the truth. But the elders are here to encourage you, pray for you, pray with you, and restore you. That's why we're here. And we're also here to urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Ephesians 
in preparation for the message. You know, my wife asks me almost every week, hey, do you have anything to give away for them to take away and remember the message? I don't think that way very well. (laughs) But I gave it some thought, okay? I had to get to it. Guess what doesn't have any leaven in it? Fritos! They're my favorite chip, okay? They're my favorite chip. There are Fritos, bags of Fritos, at the Connections desk. I brought about 200 bags. I hope that's enough for both services. Uh, And they're not all Fritos, unfortunately. I had to get mixed. We couldn't find only Fritos. So they're mixed bags. None of it has leaven, I don't think. If it does, I apologize. It's just a little reminder. Whether you like Fritos or not, enjoy them. And remember, we're called to live unleavened lives. Deal with sin. God is faithful and just to forgive. Deal with sin. If not, it's the responsibility of the church to deal deal with it. That's a heavy responsibility. Do you hear me? It's a heavy responsibility for the church. We always want to do it right. We always want to do it in love. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Do with it what you will, please. I Sin separates, Lord, it's true. Sin separates. Marriages separate because of sin. Churches separate. Because of sin. Businesses are destroyed because of sin. Help us, Lord, please, as a church to be mindful of one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another to live lives worthy of our calling. And may we sweep sin from every corner. Thanking you for forgiveness. Because that's when it's truly swept away. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.